Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Fight Island 7. This episode is brought to you by Monkey Knife Fight. We got a little deal for you here. If you deposit with the code DOP, you, uh, the, uh, Monkey Knife Fight will give you up to $50. Or if you deposit up to $50, they will give you another $50. So deposit $50, get $100. Cody Saftik. Here in studio. Yeah, here's the me. deal. It's a it's an extra sweet deal because you don't actually even have to get into a knife fight to get it. So yeah, pretty simple. All you gotta do is sign up, monkey knife fight. Essentially, we're not gonna focus as much on we never really talked about fantasy MMA all that much, anyways. Mostly stick to parlays, mostly stick to betting line, mostly stick to over-under props. Um, but we're definitely gonna incorporate some monkey knife fight value. We can talk about all that later on in the show. But essentially, yeah, if you if you want to get on board, if you want to play along, just, yeah, sign up at Monkey Knife Fight. You can use the, the promo code DOP, as Paul mentioned. If you, you know, I think they're going to match whatever you put in up to $50. So if you, you want got to 20, and they might match 20. Just put that DOP uh, promo code in. Yeah, we never charge money for the show. So all we're saying is, yeah, if you want to play along, uh, seems like a good time. Um, and yeah, there, if you're not so sure about depositing yet, there is going to be a free contest. So the link for that will be in the description. Uh, you know, you can go in there, play for free, see if you like it, see if you don't. We're going to talk about it later on in the show. But yeah, we've got new intro. It's a new you year. Know, new sponsor. Same old show, though. Yeah, yeah. Let's get yeah. right into the action. What we what we do best, which is breaking down these fights. So we got Max Holloway taking on Calvin Cater. Max Holloway is a minus 150 favorite. Cater could be had for plus 130. Take it away, Cody. You know what? First fight that we're going to talk about in the new year. It's been a crazy year. 2021 seems like it's just a rollover of 2020. However, let's start off the year with the underdog. I think I'm going to go with Calvin Cater. And I know I've taken a lot of shit from the Boston Brigade. But there's some hot things happening in Massachusetts right now. And it's beyond Calvin Cater. It's beyond... It starts off with Randy Costa. I know, I know. Why do we have to start, start off with Randy Costa? But it's like, this kid is green, he's young, he's undeveloped, and you see a lot of progress into his game really quickly. And I am on the show fading him. Don't like Randy Costa. He comes, you know, he shuts me up a few times with a couple of nice KO performances. Then you look at Rob Font last time, last card of the year. We sat here, Paul. We talked about Rob Font. We talked about the Boston Brigade. We talked about how these guys were sharp. We talked about it didn't matter that he was off a year. He was going to be ready. Mark Delagrotti trained, you know, at an optimal level. Goes out there against Marlon Moraes. And uh, I, I briefly forgot the name of the show was Dogger Pass. I honestly thought it was, was Catter Pass because I pushed, pushed out. Switched back to Marlon Moraes. Thought the knee injury would be a bigger factor. And it's like, it didn't matter, man. This guy's sharp. Rob Font's sharp. Calvin Cater's sharp. You see the progression in his game. He was always a good striker. But when you look at all those regional show victories, it's not a lot of KOs. It's not a lot of finishes. This guy routinely goes out there and goes three rounds against, you know, way lesser competition. A split decision wins over way lesser competition. But it's like a progression in the guy's game. So now how is five rounds going to factor in for him? I think pretty good. Max Holloway, meanwhile, flip side to that, this is the first time in eight fights that it's not a championship bout for Max Holloway. It's still the first five time. Rounds, it, yeah, right, right. It's the first time in four years. It's not a championship fight. It's a big fight. It's a five round fight. But how has he been faring in these five round fights? And you look at the accumulative damage of of what he's been through. This is the last six fights. Okay, Jose Aldo, a shell of a shell, in a rematch that he was obviously going to win, hits him eighty seven times. Brian Ortega, who he murdered, hit him one hundred and ten times. Justin Poirier murdered him, hit him one hundred and seventy eight times. Frankie Edgar, you know, a, a very advanced age version of wrestler, boxer, Frankie Edgar, still, still manages to nail him 96 times. Alexander Volkanovsky the first time, 157. Alexander Volkanovsky the second time, 137. 
the last six fights, he's, he, he's sustained 765 significant strikes. So now you see some of these fights, the Volkanovski fight the first time around. He's slowing down those later rounds. The second time around, he takes his foot off the gas 100% because he's putting on one hell of a show. He's putting on one hell of a spectacle. He looks awesome against Alexander Volkanovski for the first two rounds. And then all of a sudden, he's getting outstruck. And people have this, this, this memory that it's a, a robbery split decision, and Max definitely won. No, he definitely won those first two rounds. And he won them empathetically. But he lost the next three. Close rounds. Close rounds. But he lost, he lost those rounds. And as a result, he loses the fight. But he slows down as it goes on. That's the last fight against Volkanovski. Prior to that, same thing. Slows down. The Dustin Poirier fight, accumulative damage, slows down. When you look at Calvin Cater, he's more than capable of going in there and landing over 100 significant strikes. His last time against Dan Ige, that's his first five-rounder. Mm -hmm. How'd he look? Awesome. First round looks great. Second round, he actually loses the second round on all three judges' scorecards. And then three, four, and five, uh, somebody made an argument. There is an argument that maybe he lost the third. He didn't. He won the third. He won the fourth. He won the fifth. I ate my medicine there because I had Dan Ige. Calvin Cater looked sharp. But again, it's the body of work. It's this guy's going in there and he's looking better every time out. Once he's going to decision a lot, now he's finishing people. And so I want to talk about that, right? The Hanato Moicano fight, that's his... That's you know that's the time he got outstruck. But the third round is his best round. He lands most. He, he's marching forward. He throws better. Maybe it was a five round fight. He make, could have made a half. Of him. Who knows? Didn't happen. Okay. The fight against Chris Fishgold knocks him out in the first round. Perfect. The fight against Ricardo Lamas knocks him out in the first round. Now you're seeing that KO capabilities. But it's just first round finishes, right? But it's the beat. It's the Zabit fight, right? The Zabit fight is scheduled as a three round fight. In the first two rounds, yeah, it's all Zabit. It's all Zabit all day. But you don't go out and knock out Calvin Cater. He's got a cast iron chin. He's mm -hmm. one of these Boston strong guys. He'll take the damage. And when you don't knock him out in the first two rounds, he's going to keep coming on you. So Calvin Cater in the first round, right? He lands 15 significant strikes out of 52 thrown. In the second round, he lands 21. 28% it, it, for first round, 32% in the second round. It's moving up. 45% in the third round. He goes from 15 strikes landed first round, 21 strikes landed second round, 44 of 97 thrown. He threw mm -hmm. 97 strikes in the third round against Zabit. He's coming on. Zabit in his corner knew they didn't want five. That's why they scheduled it for three. But there's no doubt in my mind that Calvin Cater can go those five rounds. Sure. And against Max Holloway, that's going to be key. Because even if he does go out there and go one and one or maybe lose those first two rounds, he's just got to keep putting it on Max and can break he, him through. Can he keep Max's pace, though? Like, Matt, because I know you're talking about, like, oh, this guy keeps getting better late in rounds. Like, yeah. that's literally what Matt, Max Holloway is known for. Okay, so this is, this is, yeah, right, this is how I'm going to counter that argument, right? Max Holloway has been largely fighting non-strikers, and they're all able to hit him. Why? Because he doesn't move his head, he stands right in front of you, and he's too aggressive. That's why he's been hit 765 times over his last six fights, because he just stands in front of you, and he marches you at that pace. But he's not getting knocked out. Then you're seeing damage is maybe starting to wear on him. So he's got to go out there against Calvin Cater and put it on him. But Calvin's a slickster, right? He's a way more technical, savvy striker. So he should be able to hit and not get hit. Get out of the way, intercept him, hopefully hit him. But do you look at that list of guys? Dustin Poirier nearly kills the man, okay? And there's a guy with power. There's a guy with legitimate power. That was but a fight where you felt like he was just completely outsized. I mean, Holloway outstruck him by the numbers, I believe. But uh, well, but in terms of like what down. strikes were actually causing severe damage, it was pretty clear what was going on. So then, on Brian there. Brian Ortega at the time, jujitsu guy, not known for his striking, and yet he lands one ten on him. Right, the Poirier fight, we all know about that. Frankie Edgar fight. Frankie is not the most polished striker in the division, right? Getting hit by Frankie Edgar is not the same as being hit by Calvin Cater, and as a result, he still almost gets hit a hundred times by Frankie Edgar. 
Volkanovski is a rugby player who has transitioned to MMA. Oh, come on. No, no, Don't no. Don't dismiss the, ch- the featherweight the champ. He's, the he's a I'm rugby saying, player. He's a rugby player, okay? Rugby okay. player, transitions to MMA, and is just super, super strong. As a result, is able to take guys down, smash them from top position. Even though he's not the most technically savvy wrestler, he's so strong, he overmakes up for it. Great athlete. Not known for his striking, and yet can't take down Max Holloway and proceeds to outstrike him. With a lot of leg kicks, which Calvin Cater does excellent. Mm-hmm. So honestly, it's dogger pass to start off. It's dogger pass. I think this is a good fight. This is a great fight. What am I saying? This is going to be very close, very competitive. I see it going five rounds. But I almost feel like Max Holloway's best days are behind him. He's taken a lot of damage. This is not the kind of fight you wake up in the morning and say, this is the biggest fight of my career. I got to get on with it. Whereas Calvin Cater, he's headlining against Max Holloway, first fight of the year. And no's title shot is just around the corner. No, he could have beat Zabi in a five-round fight. Like, is just full of confidence. Whole team's on fire right now. At the very least, because it's dog money, I'm willing to take that that dogger shot pass. So uh, I'm going to take Calvin Cater. Should have got in on it uh, earlier. I know, money's coming in I on it I mean, it's well. been, these lines have been out for a while. The line opened at like plus 170, but that was back in the beginning of December, so. Plus 130, I'm actually leaning towards Holloway to, uh, still, based on volume, but I, I, I obviously think it's a pretty close fight. I just think as we get deeper into five-round fight, the pace that Max Holloway keeps, I think he'll ever so slightly edge it out. Not, not a fight that I feel like I have to really, really get invested on financially, though. Let's move on to the next one. We've got uh, Carlos Condit taking on Matt the Immortal Brown. Carlos Condit, minus 165 favorite. Matt Brown, plus 145. I like this matchmaking, first off. Oh, for sure. It's like two older guys, guys that we know are at the end of their, uh, at the end of their career here. And, you know, we're not putting them up against young studs and not trying to completely embarrass them and ruin them. And we've seen that story so many times before. It's good to see, you know, two guys at the end of the road facing off against each other. I think it's an interesting stylistic matchup. Matt Brown, obviously, last time out against Miguel Baez. He didn't look too bad in the first round. He was putting the heat on the kid a little bit. But the thing about it is his durability has definitely faltered him as he's gotten a little bit older in age. Uh, Carlos Condit, I think we all kind of left him for dead. And then uh, last time out, Court McGee, super, super slow opponent, was able to dance around him. Honestly, the best Car- Carlos Condit had looked in like <laughs> yeah, five, well, six yeah, years, yeah, to considering be he won honest. the fight. Um, <laughs> based on the just the durability that I've, the issue that I think is forming the durability of Matt Brown, and I think the speed advantage for Carlos Condit, I think Carlos Condit state, uh, Stays on track here. Minus 165. I don't love it, but uh, Carlos Condit is the pick. I think he wins on volume, just being a little bit slicker striker. Um, And I do worry about Matt Brown's durability right now. What about you? Yeah, honestly, I completely agree. I think losing streaks and, you know, being on a bad skid is all relative to who you're fighting. And even if it's like, well, he's not even fighting the top level guys. It's like, yeah, but what are the styles, right? You got to give him a winnable matchup based on his skill set. Carlos Condit is one of these old school OGs, natural born killer, former WBC champ. He's from a time that's long gone where you could be a striker jiu-jitsu guy. You could strike standing, long, rangy, and if you fall to your back, you throw up arm bars and triangles. Like, that doesn't work anymore. Guys are too top-heavy. The wrestling's too good. They're going to outgrind you. They gave him a really bad run of guys. 
I mean, the, the Robbie Lawler fight is the striker's delight. He arguably won. He could have maybe been the UFC champion. It's an excellent fight. But beyond that, Damian Maya is not going to stand up with you. He's going to take you down, put you in a rear naked choke, and, jeez, uh, that's exactly what happened. The Neil Magny fight, it's like Neil Magny's coming out parties of sorts. It's like he's an excellent grappler, and he's one of these guys that can use his own length to grapple. He's not looking to strike necessarily all the time. He you know, grabs him. Alex Oliveira is just one of these powerhouse guys. Doesn't really want to strike for pockets. He just wants to use that strength to overpower you onto the ground. The Michael Chiesa fight. How do you go from losing three fights in a row and just having lost to Alex Cowboy Oliveira to fighting Michael Chiesa? It doesn't even make any sense. But yet, here's another guy that has no intentions of standing up with you. He's going to take you down and he's going to submit you. Finally, the Court McGee fight rolls around. It's just like, okay, he's the underdog going into that spot. A lot of people are betting Court McGee. People are betting Court McGee on the basis that Court McGee. I think McGee, I bet Court McGee. No, I'm pretty Not sure. Not big, gonna, but. No, no, no. But that was the pick on the show. I thought Carlos was left for dead. Carlos is left for dead. I had Court McGee on some parlays, like those dirty PRP parlays. And it, the assumption is that Court McGee is going to take him down. Why? Because everybody else is doing it and everybody else is succeedingly well doing it well. So wh why not just go out there with the same game plan? Only turns out Court McGee is actually kind of friends with Carlos Condit. They used to train together a little bit. And Court McGee wants to chase $50,000 fight night bonus. And Court McGee doesn't want another one of these grinding type performances that has, by the way, kept him a job for almost a decade. No, he doesn't want to do that anymore. He wants to go out there and strike with Carlos Condit. And then you see Carlos is still a decent striker, man. He's fast. He loves to mix it up. He goes to the body, goes to the head. He's got excellent knees. He's got excellent kicks. He knows how to pace himself all day. If you want to stand in front of him and have a sparring-type session, you're in trouble. He's still got that skill set. It's taking him down and grinding him down that he can't do anymore. And as you said yourself, this is excellent matchmaking. Why? Because they didn't give him one of these up-and-comers. They didn't give him a Neil Magny. They didn't give him one of those kind of guys. They gave him a guy... That's actually four years older than him in Matt Brown, who's 40 years old and is shot to bits. And by the way, there's another thing with Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit's never been knocked out. He shows one loss by TKO in his career, and that was due to leg kicks uh, against Tyron Woodley. His mm -hmm. knee blew out. Yeah. Right. Outside of that, the guy's never been knocked out. He's nope. been chin-checked many of times. And boy, oh boy, this guy against can still take Against the best guys at welterweight. Against the best guys of all times. You know, he's fought two mm -hmm. generations worth of the best talent, and his chin has always lived up. You know, his neck, not necessarily when you, when you, when you put a squeeze on it, but as far as him being able to get into a striking-type match, he, he's still serviceable, right? Court McGee wants to strike with him, bad idea. Matt Brown figures to probably stand with him, right? He could take him down. But Matt's got a good guillotine. That that could be a concern. But. It could be a concern. Matt Brown has a superior ground game, and he does have better wrestling. The thing is, 40-year-old Matt Brown doesn't have the cardio that 36... Because, by the way, he fought good late point. into his 30s and had good cardio, but now he slows down a lot. So I don't know that a wrestling-type game plan is going to be able enough to just ground out Carlos Condor routinely. As far as stand-up with him, you make a good point in the Miguel Beza fight. So I had him in that fight, too. Like, you know, bad, bad reads on both guys, let's say. But in the Miguel Beza fight, I thought, geez, he's fighting a guy that's really green, that he can show a thing or two. The fight starts, and Matt Brown is slow. And he had taken some time off, and he is slow. He looks physically built. It looks like he put some muscle on. But he's just moving He's just moving underwater, essentially, right? And then what does he do? He catches Beza, and he starts putting it on Beza, and he lights him up with a nasty elbow. But here's the thing with a shot fighter, Paul. What's the last thing to go on a guy when they're done? The power. The mm -hmm. power is your last thing to go. And Matt Brown happened to catch Miguel Beza. And when he failed to knock him out, the speed discrepancy became very, very obvious. And as, a, and as a result, he gets knocked out at the end of the first round and then into the second round, right? Carlos Condit has that durability still. He still has that good chin. So even if Brown goes out there and is able to put some fireworks on him in the first three, four minutes, the first round, let's say, 
if he's not the first man to cleanly knock out Carlos Condit, Condit's going to be there round two, round three, and he's going to expose that substat that uh, subpar gas tank and you know the durability issues that Matt Brown has. Matt Brown's had back infusion, had all numerous concussions. He's a guy on record saying a few years ago that he couldn't remember where he was leaving his car key, couldn't remember little things. You know, got CTE scans. UFC didn't even want to license him to fight for a little bit. You know, he had to get some doctor's approval. Now he's forty years old. He's coming off a loss to Miguel Beza, which is a nasty finish. Jumping in there against Carlos Conde. It's got it's all got written on the wall for Carlos, but you do have two aged veterans in a fight that theoretically you know. coming off of the holidays. Yeah, yeah. And where, Carlos Carlos know, is back. He's one and I'm five. sure they're in the gym. <laughs> I'm sure they're working, but we all we all pack on a few pounds over the holidays there for sure. Um is that all you got? Yeah, that that's one? all I got. I'm gonna take Carlos Condit. I'm gonna take Carlos Condit by third round TKO. If I was being real specific. I but like I got Condit. I like it. All right, we uh, move. We stay in the welterweight division. We've got Santiago Ponzinibbio taking on Jingliang Li minus two eighty Ponzinibbio plus two forty for Li. Uh, did you know Ponzinibbio on his Instagram? He's got his nickname as the Argentinian Dagger. The Argentinian Dagger, which is like dagger. maybe maybe that's referring to the eye ah! pokes that he gave. Uh, Gunnar Nelson and uh, I guess some other some other opponents in his career. He hasn't fought for a while. It was a 2018. Sounds like a porn move. The Argentinian dagger. <laughs> the Argentinian dagger. Genji Boa means like gentleman or good man or something like that, which is what's on like his topology account. Because you come, but in, uh, you on come his, in. I guess maybe he's got this new uh, this the Argentinian dagger is his no, new. You come in as Genji Boa, and then your opponent's just like, oh, this guy's a D guy. Why would he play dirty? And then you get the Argentinian. And dagger. you get the Argentinian right in the dagger. eye. Him versus Bisbing would not go good for Bisbing. No. You get the good eye? What am I talking about? He's only got one eye. It has to be the good eye. And then, yeah, 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 then it's all over. But go on. I mean, I, I imagine we both are picking Ponzinibbio to get the job done here. We haven't seen him in a long time. There's a problem. But what have we ever seen from Lee to lead us to believe that he's a top 10 levels kind of welterweight? Yeah, probably isn't. Uh, one thing about him is that he's hyper aggressive. Like he's always coming at you and he's always swinging bombs and either you beat him, you know, very soundly or he defeats you and he's got just like a huge knockdown ratio where like he knocks down most of his opponents. And a lot of the times they, you, it's multiple knockdowns. Like you'll knock down him. He'll get back up, knock you down as well. So he's in the kind of like rough, rugged type fights and it becomes a problem for Santiago Ponzinibbio in that the line minus 280 it's what's baked in there is this legendary run that he's currently on I mean realistically speaking the guy is on is it a seven fight winning streak he's currently on a seven fight winning streak and where it's light on names Andreas Stahl fanned out very quickly Court McGee we just talked about him you know aged veteran Zach Cummings Zach Cummings has been an aged veteran for a long time but just always knows how to get the victory Nordin Taleb fanned out from the UFC Gunnar Nelson never never really Lived up to expectations, and it was a dirty eye poke. Mike Perry, total bum. And Neil Magny, who's on a resurgence now, but it was then, right? So the the list of victims is impressive and somewhat, but it's also not like that highest echelon, right? Then you factor in the time off, nearly two years. Injuries. He's 34 years old, and he fights the kind of game plan where he stands in front of you and he swings at you. He's way more technical than Jing Liang Li, for sure. He's going to be faster than Jing Liang Li. He's tra currently training at American Top Team. He's going to be in excellent shape. Mm -hmm. And I do, I do pick him to win. Where I'm not all in on him, and the price would suggest that a guy like this, oof, we're all in on him, right? 
is that you look at Jingliang Lin versus uh, Zaleski dos Santos, right? Elizu Zaleski dos Santos, who's way faster than him, has better power, you know, is a Christopher striker, and he knocks him out in the third round because he just keeps coming at the guy and tires him out. Ponzinibbio has not the greatest gas tank. He shows a fourth-round knockout against Magnus last time out. Cardio checked up. But again, the difference between 32 and 34, it's something, right? Training under different circumstances, it's something. Train, traveling all the way to Abu Dhabi, it's something. Having to make this weight when he's a big for the weight class to begin with after a two-year-long absence, it's something. The nagging injuries, it's something. It's all question marks. I don't want at that price tag. So whereas, I'm going to agree with you. Sure, I'll take him. I, uh, I, I guess I could see a path to victory in just like an ugly type fight where, where the bruiser Jingliang Li comes swinging at him in where he pulls an upset, and then I'd be so mad if I had him on all my parlays, right? That seems fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I hear where you're coming from there. Um, probably like a... I mean, it's basically priced right now is like a 70-30 proposition. I kind of expected it to be a little bit more, but... Yeah, I'm not gonna if because of the fact that I haven't if I haven't because of the fact that I haven't seen him yeah. in all of this time. It leads me to not really want to add him to uh to all of the plays, that's for sure. All right, we got Joaquin Buckley taking on Alessio Di Charico in the welter in the middleweight division. Uh Buckley is a minus two sixty-five favorite. Di Charico can be had four plus two twenty-five. The one thing that Di Charico's kind of got going for him here is that Guy's got a hell of a chin. He's been well. I mean, I guess he hasn't faced somebody with the explosive power of a Joaquin Buckley. Uh, oh dynamic striking, dynamic uh, maneuvers, things that we've never seen before. Uh, rest in peace, Impa Kasangane. Um, but yeah, Dietrichico has been pretty durable throughout his UFC tenure, and Buckley, you know, this price is getting up on us here as well. I think that he's the much better athlete. Um, you know, uh, even that loss to Kevin Holland that well. Shit, that shit loss. looks pretty good. Now done it. <laughs> shit, it doesn't look. <laughs> but that fight again after this. Did like, better yeah, Did sure. better against uh, Holland than I guess my boy Jacare did. Rest in peace, my bank account. <laughs> rest in peace, Jacare. Yeah, rest in peace, Jacare. Jeez. Um, I, li- I like Buckley to get the job done here, but I don't think it's going to be like a, like a first round finish. Like, I think we're going to we're going to have to. I, I don't think it's going to be the explosive. He's getting sold as this, like, you know, first-round knockout specialist, all of that. Just, like, you go through some of his earlier fights, his fights in Bellator. Yeah, like, people you. can drag him a little bit deeper. I think Dietrich maybe makes this a little bit uglier. He's pretty strong, physical, maybe holds him up against the cage a little bit. But I like Buckley to win either late or actually, honestly, by decision. What about you? Yeah, I could see a decision as well. I know what you're saying with that they're billing him as this murderous power puncher early first round, but he's, he's not like that, right? The Kevin Holland fight is actually the outlier where he doesn't attempt to pace himself because he knows, taking the fight on short notice, against a guy who's fought three times this Giving week. Giving up like, like eight inches reach. Yeah, it's a very crazy stylistical matchup. I haven't been able to prepare for it. My best chance of victory is to go out there and swing bombs. And by the way, why does the stock go up? Because it's like, yeah, man, he, he fought a good fight. He did give a good account of himself. You look at the Impa Kinsangani fight. He's not pushing the action. He's not really attempting to go for it. He's comfortably winning, but he's finding a smart game plan. He's just like the better technician, and he's, and he's putting his weapons to use. And then he just like a highlight reel, probably the best KO I've ever seen in my entire life. And instantly, this man is now a star. Now the UFC is like, oh yes, thank God. We got a good viral video. It's going to get millions and millions of views. We need to 
build this guy up and hope that some more dynamite magic happens, right? So they give him Jordan Wright. Why would you give him Jordan Wright? I don't know. I don't know. Jordan Wright's way overmatched against this guy. And you know something scary to me? Jordan Wright arguably won the first round until late. He got kind of hurt late, and that, and that, that he got clipped. That was it. He went to his corner. He was concussed. He basically was slurring his words. He lost the fight in the last minute, let's say. But it wasn't because he was fighting a good round. It's because Buckley was just conserving himself, not really pushing the action, taking his time. That's what's going to play out against Alicio DiCirico, who, as you mentioned, is pretty durable, got a good chin, never been knocked out. But, like, he doesn't push the action much, man. He no. just kind of, like, hangs out at range, doesn't throw shit. And Buckley's probably going to be cool with that as well. I mean, there's a reason why he's, you know, three-fight losing streak and still finds himself on a card. Yes. One, yes. we're in the middle of a why. global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And two, because they want to put a little shine on their boy over at Fight Island. That's your bingo right there, right? Now, let's say you are a matchmaker. And you say, okay, Buckley, we didn't expect much of this guy. We fed him to Holland. He gave a good account of himself. Cool. And then we give him to Kansanganai, who is the A-side prospect, right? Undefeated, former football player, coming out of Contender Series where he earned the contract. This guy looks good, and he steals the shine off him. Now they're building him. You give him Jordan Wright, and it's another sweet KO. Oh, sweet. Now he's on a two-KO win streak. He's looking good. He was competitive against Kevin Holland, who's quickly rising up the ranks. Sky's the limit for Joaquin Buckley, right? Why would you give this guy a guy on a three-fight losing streak? Does it not theoretically look like a step backwards? It's not. It's a much tougher fight than Jordan Wright is because it's a slow build process, right? Now, after the last fight, this guy calls out James Krause, and James Krause goes on an interview and says, I'm in, let's do it, this guy's a sack of shit, and it is a nice little brewing up storyline. They both accept the fight. And it was gonna be like the the St. Louis. Yeah, great. Kansas. Or the Missouri Missouri showdown. Missouri showdown or whatever. And again, you've got real heat, you've got a real good fight that you can sell, and they're going to sell you that fight, and it is gonna be on a main card, could even be a co-main event, trying to push Joaquin Buckley. But first, let's let's continue that slow build real quick. Let's build him up a little bit. And that's what they're trying to do against DiCirico. Now, DiCirico poses some problems that he'll give the kid some rounds, and the kid probably isn't gonna end up with a highlight reel KO. But if he goes out there and knocks out DiCirico, then we know the power's for real. And if he goes out there and gets some rounds into him, that's good for his build as well. Because we mm-hmm. also forget with Joaquin Buckley, he's 26 years old. He's still a young guy, right? For sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's what it comes down to. I think that Buckley is the A side. They're trying to build this guy along. When you mentioned that he's minus 265, to put things into perspective, he is less of a favorite than Santiago Ponzinibbio. But with Ponzinibbio, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of where's he been the last two years and what kind of shape he's in and where's his cardio at. Whereas, like, Buckley's answered a lot of those questions for me. They're giving him a very winnable fight. And how does he lose this fight? By decision? Not on takedowns. Not Just on... Just by, like, getting, like, cage-controlled, I think. Is he going to get out-hustled by Alicio Bippity-Boppity-Boo DiCirico? Well, and the like, thing about it, too, home, is, like... That's his own Their line, reach, what, 74-inch reach for DiCirico... 76. So he's actually Buckley, despite being a little bit shorter, has the reach advantage in this spot, which should really come in handy for him. This is actually one of the ones when we talk about Monkey Knife Fight a little bit later down the card. We've got the uh, the pricing on that. We got uh, 43 and a half and 30 and a half. I kind of like if this fight goes to decision, I kind of like both of those to go over. Yeah, yeah. I, it's I more of like a play on my my bigger concern. I think Buckley gets there. If we go to decision, he gets over 43 and a half. My concern would be maybe DiCirico just does absolutely nothing. But 
Um, 30 and a, 30 and a half is not very much to get over. Um, if, if we're trusting in DiCirico's chin to get three rounds in this spot, I'm thinking the overs in uh, both of those, but we'll get yeah, deeper into you. that as we, uh, I, I, I would say, I would say when he fought Oluwale Bengbase, who is a pure power guy, he was so reluctant to engage him at all. First round's mm-hmm. awful. Second round, he actually catches him with a knee, but it's a sloppy knee, knocks him out. I don't want to give him too much praise here. What I'm saying is that, yeah, it's possible that Buckley touches him a few times and now he's not willing to engage as much and doesn't hit that total. But that's why I like Monkey Knife Fight, to be honest with you. Like, we've all played a lot of the other fantasy games. We've all, you know, we've obviously played parlays and and betting line. But, I don't know, it's just like a fun different spin on things. So, I'm interested in, are they both going to hit those totals? I see Buckley hitting that total. I see him winning. If he wins a decision, he's landing no less than 60 significant strikes. And, yeah, with DiCirico... If he hangs around, like, is he going to offer up enough offense? Hopefully not for my parlays, but hopefully for my Monkey Knife Fight account. <laughs> um, yeah, man, that I just looked up the stats on that. Uh, the Bang Bus versus uh, DiCirico is 10 to 6. 10 to strikes, 6 in terms land. of significant strikes. That's like a... <laughs> and all, it went to the second round, by the way. That's an all-time, like, uh, Awful fight. And watch his post-fight interview afterwards. Real Still, to my to, to this day, gives me nightmares. All right, well, let's move on down. This next fun's pretty exciting. We got undefeated prospects in Dusko Todorovic taking on Puna Soriano. Minus 155 Todorovic. Plus 135, Soriano, where are you at on this one? Okay, so we talked about in the last fight how you're trying to build a guy along. And uh, you, you think you got something Joaquin Buckley want. This fight, you potentially have two guys that you could be building up. But nope, nope, nope. Let's see who's the real deal and who's somebody that we're wasting time on. And that's what we got. You got two undefeated prospects. They're both young. Soriano's 28. Dusko's only 26 years old. Uh, why are they meeting at this stage earlier on in their career? Again, you got to see who that real prospect is. With Soriano, it seemed like they were going to give this guy an absolute full build, right? He gets the Contender Series fight after an LFA bout. He beats Jamie Pickett for Contender Series. He doesn't look good, in my opinion. His gas tank, pretty suspect. Gets the win, and then it's disclosed that he's managed by Ali Abdelaziz, and that he trains at Extreme Couture in Las Vegas. And sure enough, he gets a contract because, of course, he's going to get a contract. That's fine. They give him Oscar Pachota in his UFC debut, right? It's Oscar Pachota. They're giving him the build, right, is what they're trying to do with him. He knocks out Pachota a little over three minutes into the first round. But you'll notice in that fight, he starts out good, and he tires again, right? He starts to fatigue again. It looks like he's starting to get a little bit labored, and then he catches him, he knocks him out. Cool. Well, he hurts him. They get into, like, kind of a grappling exchange. He gets out of it, but... Yeah, Pachota almost kind of reverses it in that spot. Pachota gets absolutely sparked. flat, flat oh, lined. Sparked. Sparked. And now it's well, like that's what Puna got... does. He throws that left and he throws it with vicious intent. Like that's basically that, that's his bread and butter from what I can see on tape. And you know what? I'm not discrediting him because he's still only 28. He's making improvements at Extreme Couture. He's been off for 13 months. Who knows if he comes out a completely revamped version of himself? But I'm looking at what tools does he have in his arsenal? And one of those tools is he got the big power. Is his wrestling all that good? No. Is his cardio all that good? No. Is his grappling all that good? No. Uh, is his chin good? Well, we haven't really seen him. Uh, checked and, and pushed to any types of limits. Is cardio great? Well, he kind of gasses round three against Jamie Pickett in the Contender Series. That's what I'm saying is that the cardio doesn't seem great to me, no. but but they're they're committed to giving him the slow build. So they book him against Eric Spicely because, Paul, we all know what slow builds entail, and mm-hmm. they entail fights with guys like Eric Spicely. Yes, but sir. He, he pulls out due to injury, right? He gets Anthony Hernandez fight. Anthony Hernandez has looked just absolutely atrocious as far as the UFC goes. 
And, uh, you know, again, again, Soriano pulls out. Now he's been off for the 13 months. Now they're not looking to do any favors. It's like do or die. You need to go out there and you need to perform against Dusko. And Dusko has just shown you a lot more because he has shown you that power. Three fights back, he knocked out Michelle Pereira in the first round. And you watch that fight and he just bulldozes straight at him. Like he comes forward at Pereira, corners him a bit close to the cage, and then just lands on him. Nice big win. Shows that power. But then the contender series fight against Canada's own Teddy Ash doesn't show you the power. Instead, shows you that he can just smother a guy up against the cage for three rounds. Beat him up in spots. Opens up a nasty cut on Teddy Ash. Good performance all around. Then you get Daquan Townsend, right? Well, Daquan's, he's one of these Alicio Dicuricos, right? What is he good for? Not much other than super durable. And like Dusko put it on him, man. The stand-up, well, the stand-up looked a little sloppy, but the shots he was landing knock out most He's got a really awkward style. As soon as he tossed him to the ground, it was... Good head movement in that first round. Like, good head movement. uh, Daquan absolutely cracks him on one shot. Takes it. He takes it like no problem. And that's, that's like that's his biggest that's my biggest concern with Dusko going into this fight. Puna does throw his his left, he throws it aggressively, like wildly, basically. He's trying to kill you. But uh the way that he took that shot against De- uh, Daquan Townsend round one gave me some confidence in the fact. And the and and yeah, the guy the guy's um uh, pace is is super, super high. Lots of significant strikes. This is another fight that we'll uh, we'll talk about on the monkey knife fight uh, in terms of the over under pros. Well, that's again, that's what I like about it. So now, so now you're looking at okay, they both got good firepower, right? Now cardio advantage is going to go towards Dusko. He's looked better in the three rounds. He pushes a better pace, so I'm giving him the advantage there. As far as the durability goes, they're both undefeated. They both haven't really been tested, but this guy has. He's fought in much better competition. He shows wins over... Th- this is third fight of his MMA career, an 8-0 prospect, Tony Markovin, who, uh, Markalov. Who cares if he's any good or not? That Alexander Popak, when he was just 4-0, is 8-1. He made it to contender series. He was an okay European prospect. He, he shows fights with guys with winning records and loss of experience. And then his last three alone, Michelle Pereira, Teddy Ash, Daquan Townsend, all guys with lots of experience. Soriano has fought in his best wins, Jamie Pickett. Oscar Pachota probably shouldn't have been in the UFC, but I guess that's a credible UFC caliber level win, you know, was in the UFC. But but the experience is not quite there. So I think that it's going to be a competitive first round. They both crack each other lots, but then Dusko should be able to take around, take over as the fight goes. And as long as Ali doesn't got the judges creased up here, because it's in, you know, it's in Abu Dhabi. Um, they tried to book this kid all summer in Las Vegas when they needed guys in Las Vegas for cards in Las Vegas, and he wasn't there for them. And now he's going all the way down there to take on the European prospect in Dusko, who I think will come out uh, victorious. Well, so. Soriano's uh, contender series fight, you know, against Jamie Pickett, he was able to go to the wrestling um, to kind of bail himself out in the later rounds there. Um, against Dusko, from what I saw against Daquan, now I don't think Daquan's some sort of wizard on the ground, but like the transitions look pretty solid. Like I think he's a, I think he's a black belt in judo. So I mean, he's going to be difficult to take down. Yeah, I think he's going to be. But if he does get him down there, his grappling looked yeah. very yeah, yeah. much, very much credible. Like I'm not too, too worried about that either. I think that fight probably also goes to decision, which is basically like a pick 'em between. I'm uh, could be a late finish, but. Uh, but yeah, I like Disco as well. Um, let's move on. We've got Phil Haas taking on Nasserdin Imovov. We got Phil Haas as a minus one thirty-five favorite. Imovov plus one fifteen. There's an old saying on here: if it ends with OV, it's good enough for me. Nasserdin's a French guy, though. Uh, wow, well, is he? Is he? Re- he's not like 
He is not Dagestani to the core. Uh, not and his how- style. His style is not Dagestani to the core. But why isn't he? Is Kosmat Chemayev Swedish? I don't see the same level of grappling uh, No, no, that's what I mean. The style with is not this guy. Both from Dagestan. I think everyone's over, like, I know Phil Haas has had some ups and downs in his career, but, you know, former collegiate wrestler. Uh, in terms of power and speed, I don't think it's even close. The biggest question, I guess, is if he tries to put Amovov away in the first little bit, is he going to gas? Uh, you know, you go back and watch the fight against Andrew Sanchez years ago on the content or on. Uh, yeah, tough. On, on uh, the ultimate fighter. And yeah, he does pretty well early on trying to get a takedown, holds him up against or holds Sanchez against the uh, cage and all of that. But once he gets, you know, once he gets tired, it's pretty easy. It's one way traffic usually in most of his fights. Uh, Imovov watched his last fight again. Uh, we were on him uh, last time out against. Uh, why is the name escaping me right now? Oh yeah, well uh, yeah, Derek. What's his name? Um, what oh, you're saying? God. Is it Williams? Derek Williams? No. Jordan uh, Williams. No, Jordan, Jordan Williams. Yeah. Jordan Williams, diabetic yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. Diabetic guy. All heart. All heart. Congratulations to him for having all of the heart. Like that. He ate everything but the kitchen sink. But then you're kind of questioning. You're like. Does this guy really throw any sort of powers? Jordan uh, Jordan um, Williams Williams just able to just take a hellacious beating. It may be a little bit of the both. I don't. I think I actually still like uh, Phil Haas here. I see money has came in on Amovov. I think the opener. Um, I think it was like around like minus eight one eighty five is actually more. Uh, creditable for this matchup. Where's your Where's your head at? Yeah, I'm gonna actually go with uh, Imovov again. If you remember, he was when we did the show last time. He was the underdog against Jordan Williams, mm-hmm. and then a ton of money pulled in on him late, moved him to minus one thirty five. I think is what he went off at, and sure enough, he delivered and he uh, defeated one Jordan Williams. Um, you have a You have a young prospect, 24 years old, in Imovov. He's from Dagestan. He moves to France. He's training out of the same camp that produced Francis Ngannou, the same camp that produced Cyril Gagne, the same camp that produced Taylor Lapalus. The Fight Factory Paris is an excellent gym, and I think he's getting the benefits of being able to work at a you know a good structured camp. As far as his takedown defense goes, well, that's where his Dagestani roots are going to have to come through for him. But as far as his his overall game goes, he doesn't want to wrestle. He wants to stand up there and he wants to strike with you. They call him the, the sniper, and I think that uh, he's a good long rangey capable guy when he fought jonathan minier that's his aries fc fight um two fights back right jonathan minier fought colby covington once upon a time in the ufc is he great by no means no but he, but he's a long rangey striker type guy right he goes in there against minier and he absolutely buzzsaws the guy takes him out nice little victory for him comes to the ufc he was supposed to be on contender series that fell through he gets that jordan williams fight now jordan williams legitimately earned his contract on on contender series. Jordan Williams is a guy that had, yeah, he's diabetic, and yeah, he can't cut weight, which is the reason why he's stuck up he at 185 pounds. coming into that fight. He, he always comes in at 182. But here's a guy that had a split decision loss to Ramazan Kermagomedov on contender series, which he arguably won. He obviously lost a split, arguably won. He was a plus 300 underdog. So as you're saying, like, is he durable or can he model a crack? The guy is durable. The guy's a junkyard dog. Don't let the fact that he's diabetic slow him down. Like, he's going for it. The next fight against Gregory Rodriguez, this guy is clearly on juice, man. Like, I mean, <laughs> thick Brazilian boy. And Williams just goes out there and puts it on him. And then he, he move off. 
completely lands every like you said the best the, everything with the kitchen sink he completely annihilates this guy and jordan williams stays in it and you know that heart and that perseverance is something that phil hawes does not possess and so what's going to happen is phil hawes is going to start well because he always starts well he's an athletic specimen he moves like the wind he hits like an absolute mac truck but once the fight gets to the second and third round he's going to gas out like he always gases out why don't and he's we going just to quit. hit this one live uh, yeah, 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 for make sure. sure. Make sure he doesn't Imavol's get his dog head right completely now, though. knocked. Imavov's the dog right now, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we've we've basically just gone the whole Imavov's the man. Let's talk about why we would be looking to fill, fill, uh, fade Phil Haas. So Phil Haas is not some young prospect. He's 32 years old. He was a former like uh, wrestler on the Iowa Community College team, same as John Jones, same as Colby Covington. The guy is touted as a wrestler, ha- does not use his wrestling in almost any of his fights. So he goes to Greg uh, Jackson Winklejohn, trains with John Jones, who he's friends with his college days, and is the man. Everybody loves Phil Hawes. John Jones is on record saying how good Phil Hawes is. So the Ultimate Fighter rolls around, and Phil Hawes, you know, they're, they're looking for guys, comes onto the show. John Jones is even coaching the show. Well, isn't that so pretty? Has to win a fight to get in, sure, but surely he's going to. And in the pre-fight interview, when they talk to Phil Hawes, he's like, you asked John Jones how our training sessions went down. Like, th- this guy is basically telling you, like, yeah, I can, I can handle this guy in the gym. And but then he gets Andrew Sanchez. And so, you know what? Let's give him a pass because Andrew Sanchez ended up winning the entire season of The Ultimate Fighter. But he gassed out after the first round. His cardio was not good. As flashy as he is, as athletic as he is, as quick and agile as he is, it doesn't la- there's too much muscle on him. It just it doesn't last for him, right? As soon as he loses that fight, he gets back in the win column with a 6-11 and 11 opponent, right? Then they give him Lewis Taylor. Lewis Taylor's 40 years old. Lewis Taylor's biggest profile fight was the Strikeforce Challengers fight with Joe Riggs once upon a time. He's off the map, and he has seen better days. You know, Chicago's own. And the same thing, man. Like, he starts off good, but in the second round, he completely tires, and Lewis Taylor catches him in a guillotine choke. But you know what? Let's give him a pass, because Lewis Taylor ended up winning the whole tournament and made a million dollars. The Julian Marquez fight. It's another Dana White Contender Series fight. This guy hasn't looked good. Lost him tough. Lost in World Series of Fighting. You bring him in for a contender series fight, and Julian Marquez, of all people, tires him out after the first round and then annihilates him with a head kick in the second. Yeah. But then, Paul, wouldn't you know it, he knocks out Michael Wilcox, who you've never heard of in the first round. Actually, it's a a cut stoppage in Bellator. Bellator doesn't sign the guy. Why would Bellator bring in the super prospect, give him one fight, wins the fight after a cut stoppage in the first round, and not put pen to paper? They weren't impressed. Derek Schrober can, right? Defeats him. Yuri Fraga, 13 and 10, defeats him. Comes on contender series. Don't be fooled by the name, right? Kazmurat Basteyev. It's not OV, it's EV. But beyond that, he's not good. No, no, no. Watch that guy. Not good. Defeats him. And then he gets Jacob Malkoon, whose claim to fame is being Robert Whitaker's BJJ coach. Like, like what? Like, why would why are you fighting this guy? And, and he kills him. They're all first-round knockouts over guys that are rollover opponents. That's expected. So what's going to happen here is he's going to have to try to go out there, get that quick start he's always looking for. But when he doesn't knock out Imovov, Imovov's going to put it to him in the second or third round. He'll crumple over and get TKO'd. So I've got, I've got Imovov winning inside the distance. He's already dog money. If you got it on it earlier in the week, it was better dog money. But uh, yeah, I'm going to roll. This will be my second dog pick of the night. All right, we move on to the next one. We've got a women's fight between Wu Yanan and Jocelyn Edwards. This fight is a straight pick'em. Uh, minus 110 on both sides. Uh, you leaning to one side or the other in this spot? Yeah, you know what? It's it's 50-50 fight, like you're saying, and I, I agree in many spots. It's like, wh- why would you want 
Wu Yanan, who, you know, the Gina Mazzani fight, everybody what, always wants to bring it up. Very Watching, watching very tape, fair. I was just like, very you know fair. what? Like, watching watching Jocelyn Edwards fighting on, like, the real, the, real the low regional scene. Panamanian, Panamanian <laughs> regional scene. I think she fights out of Iowa, though. Um, she does now, yeah. yeah. And she's fought in the States a few times. But, like, there's a couple of her fights just, like... Why is this even getting booked? So like Most commissions would sanction. Weight classes apart. It wouldn't get sanctioned. Her last fight specifically, the one in like some Pan- uh, Panamanian promotion I've never heard of, um, that one would not be sanctioned. Like She yeah. just basically just bull rushes her. Um, what? She went to decision uh, for the Legacy Fighting Championship. Lost a split to Sarah Alpar, who yeah. also fought in the UFC and was one of the more memorable performances in recent months. Watching tape, I want to bet Wu Yanan, and then I go through the tapology and I go, friends don't let friends bet on people yeah. who lost to Gina Mazzani. But, you know, Gina Mazzani's on a winning streak now, so maybe I'm the fool. Do you have a do you have a hot take on this one? It's a it's a pretty big pass. Yeah, honestly, it's more speculative than anything else. Uh, Yanan Wu is shown to not really have much of a ground game, and I think you look flip side of their opponent. They don't really either of them appear to have a ground game at all. So what we have is a striker's delight. So we'll start off with Wu, right? Wu's been fighting professionally since she's 18 years old, right? So she's like one of these next generation Chinese talents. Wants to get an early heart, uh, start to it. She's got two wins over Bo Meng. Now Bo Meng is a well known Chinese veteran who is the only girl to ever defeat current UFC champion Wiley Zhang, and more so than that, fights for 1FC right now and is just an absolute banshee. She shows two wins over her when she's just like 18 years old. She goes undefeated until she runs into Yana Kunitskaya, and again, that's a passable loss. Oh, No big deal. You lost a, a girl that went on to fight for the UFC title and established herself as a, as a decent overall talent, and you're young at the time. like She's 20 years old losing to Yana Kunitskaya. That loss to Gina Mazzani... As embarrassing as it was, they're looking for somebody in China. The card's in China. They got Wu. She is not ready for this spot. I believe she's 21 years old. She's 21 years old. She fights Gina Mazzani. Now, Gina Mazzani is the lowest level of opposition they could have gotten her, but she was still just too much for her. Mm -hmm. Way too strong, way too physical, takes Wu down, beats on Wu. But that fight's also at 135 pounds, right? Wu comes down to 125 against Laura Mueller. And it's an armbar from guard. It's like disgusting, like classic women's MMA at its peak. The Mizuke Inoue fight, a better account of herself. Her striking is not refined. It's not polished. But you can see that the difference between losing to Gina Mazzani at 21 and then losing to Mizuki Inoue or, be, or yeah, losing the split decision to Inoue a few years later, you're seeing some progression in her game overall. But now that fight against Inoue was she like... She looks all right it's in like that 16, fight. It's 16 months ago. Yeah. She's 24 years old right now. All the girl does, she's sponsored by the state. All she does is train. She's going to be one of these Chinese talents that has a slow start. There's a lot of learning. There's a lot of building. But is eventually going to put it together and have an aggressive striking type style. Is that enough to How is her ground Jocelyn game? Because actually, Jocelyn Edwards has a bit of a ground game. Watching her fight against uh, Brenda Gonzalez, who trains out of Fit NHB. It's Tim Means' wife. Is that who it is? Yeah. Nice. Um... I mean, she gets a couple, like, nice, like, judo throws in that fight, and then she ends up finishing it with an armbar. She definitely is working on those skills. I don't know if she's, like, elite, elite at them. As I said, watching tape, I want to bet Yanan, but... I mean, you know that, it's that I, Gina Mazzani fight. You know, know. me. No, dude, you know I know me. what you're saying. And when I, when I looked at it as well, Jessica Middleton shows a 4-5 and five pro record, or maybe it's a 5-6 and six pro record right now, but 
She's fought in some good levels opponent. Not a terrible uh, fighter. She smokes around 57 seconds. You watch that fight? Okay, looks okay. The Brendan Gonzalez fight, that's her, that's her career best victory. The Sarah Alpar fight, Sarah Alpar has a bunch of like wrestling accolades. Not an MMA fighter. Got beat up by Jesse Jess Rose Clark pretty badly. Mm-hmm. But is a wrestler, right? The fact that that fight goes five rounds where she's clearly giving up the wrestling advantage to Alpar and she does keep it relatively close and loses a split decision, it shows you something, right? Yeah. The Pamela Gonzalez fight, as embarrassing as it is, it's just a tune-up. It's just a stay warm, right? And she literally just barges forward, swinging her arms like this, right. and knocks her out in like a minute. Right. But 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 ultimately, it's 50-50. You've made some great points. I've made some points. Who knows if they're great or not? But but you see, there's a back and forth. But this is this this is the clincher for me, right? Woo, maybe there is something there. Maybe at 24, she's gonna show you some improvements. Maybe because she's Chinese. She's something that we could market to that demographic, which they're always looking to do. But they book her against Betch Kohea in this spot. That's a high-profile fight. Betch pulls out a week ago, and they've scrapped up Jocelyn Edwards from Iowa to go all the way to Abu Dhabi? Iowa by way of Panama. Right, and she's actually two inches shorter than uh, than Wu as well. So it's like that size, that perceived she'll be able to do what Gina Mazzani did. It's yeah, like, I didn't see her. Gina, I didn't see her Gina reach Jack. listed anywhere, but yeah, she is giving up two inches of height for sure. She looks like she's the rangier fighter, but if she's not the bigger, more physical girl, then the ground game's out of it. And then as far as the striking goes, maybe she is a little bit of a better striker, but it's 50-50. It's 50-50 and she's taking it on a week's notice, right? So let's go, Wu. Yeah, that's what I ended up with. So. Woo! Woo! All right, we got Thick Diaz, uh, Carlos Felipe taking on Justin Taffa. Minus 175, uh, Felipe plus 155, Taffa. Uh, when we talk uh, a little bit later, I like this one for uh, maybe you can talk me on or off the ledge for this one for Monkey Knife Fight. I. My only question is Tafa and how go, how yeah, deep yeah, can right. Tafa can get how Excellent deep question. can that guy get into a fight? Because <laughs> I'm pretty confident that what we've seen from Carlos Felipe, he's the kind of guy who just likes getting hit in the face. Like this guy, just barging forward constantly, laughing at you. You you hit him. He says it doesn't hurt. I mean, I'm I'm all for watching Thick Diaz put on a show for us. Um, I think there's been some. I think the line was a little bit wider earlier in the week, uh, or actually maybe like a couple weeks ago. Obviously, we've been over the holidays. These lines have been out. I think he was like minus two twenty five or so. It's it's been creeping down towards Tafa, and honestly, I think it's Tafa needs a finish or bust. We haven't seen much from him other other than like if he doesn't get the finish in the first round. I don't know if he's hanging around in round two and round three. And I know, and I know. Carlos Felipe, he, he's he's got three-round cardio for sure. So pick is uh, Carlos Felipe here. We'll talk about Monkey Knife Fight uh, later on in the show, uh, considering this fight. But uh, that's my pick. What about you? Yeah, I just think it's a... It seems like Carlos Felipe is everybody's play of the week. Like, everybody likes him. He's making improvements. He's got that thick Diaz style. We like it. Uh, and... Tafa, like, what has he really shown us to this point? But mind you, they are still middling heavyweights, and anything could theoretically happen. Tafa's a bit of an anomaly to me, right? On one hand, his brother, Junior Tafa, is a credited glory kickboxer, right? You know, excellent kickboxer. His uncle was, like, a New Zealand kickboxing legend, fought Mark Hunt in K1. He comes from a lineage of these, like, tough fighting Samoan guys that are kickboxers, right? Do I think this guy has much of a ground game? No. He does show it in some of his early regional scene fights. They don't last long, but he does take guys down and, and beat them up. It's just, it's really low level. 
When he debuted in the UFC against Jorgen De Castro, it was on the main card of Whitaker Adesanya. Now, that's a big enough pay-per-view because you have Ezra Adesanya and it was a title fight against Robert Whitaker. It's a big pay-per-view. And this guy debuts on the main card and walks headfirst into that Jorgen De Castro right hand. Like, showed absolutely abysmal ring IQ. Hands down, chin up, ran straight into the Jorgen De Castro shot. Now, you were on this because Tafa came into that fight as a... It was actually it went off at minus one twenty, but it was DeCastro dog money. You liked some DeCastro dog money when he was still hot at the time, and yeah, like terrible ring IQ. Walks walks straight into it. The Juan Adams fight again. Now he's the underdog, and uh, he's gonna lose to Juan Adams. But Juan Adams can't really take a punch all that well. He's on a bad losing streak. Doesn't seem like he factors into the UFC. And Toffa gets the victory over him, and then and then that's you know nine ten months ago now, or I think it's yeah ten months ago now. So. Can Tafa go longer than a round? We haven't seen it. All of his regional team fights, a couple of them went to the second round, but it was one-way traffic. The two fights in the UFC have both been the first round. He's a kickboxer. I, I, I couldn't tell you if he can rely on his ground game to get the job done here. Like, can he extend this? Like, who knows? But he is going to be swinging massive amounts of heat at Felipe for that first five minutes. I would expect Felipe to survive the first five minutes. I would expect Felipe to then take over at least in rounds two and three, secure a decision, if not maybe a late stoppage over, over, over uh, Tafa as well. So, yeah, I, I'm actually in agreement with everyone, Carlos Felipe. It's just, you know, he's a sizable enough favorite, and it is a, it's just like a, a dirty, greasy, heavyweight fight, right? So, yeah, and by the way, he's on that main card of Jorg, or of uh, Whitaker Adesanya. His next fight against Juan Adams, he's on the main card of Jones versus Reyes, right? So he's had two fights in the UFC, both times he lands on pay-per-view main cards, despite having a 3-0 and and a 3-1 and record, respectively, like... Either they're high up on him or they do know this guy does have some credible kickboxing and he's going to showcase it to the world. He's 27. He could be getting better. Carlos Felipe, like, I, yeah, I, I do have him, but, like, I've liked other picks better. I mean, it is always dangerous relying on a heavyweight for durability purposes. It looks like he can take a shot. It looks like he can take a shot, but he hasn't. Who's he fought, right? Exactly. He's fought, you know, the Sergei Spivaks of the world are not exactly putting that hot, hot heat on him. And he showed in that fight, especially in the third round. Like Jorgen DeCastro's knocked some dudes out before, but usually it's mostly like the leg kicks and stuff that, that the, get the job The last point I'll counter with you is you're right. And he worked the body very nicely. His cardio looked good. He had that taunting, the Diaz style that we keep referencing. But Jorgen DeCastro, who's completely shit piss gassed, would just put his head down and just walk forward and hug him up against the cage. And he just allowed it to happen. Yeah. He did absolutely not. He'd look at the referee and complain. And the referee eventually told Castro, like, stop doing it. But it's like, well, how is he doing it? Why can't you just pivot out of there and hit him? Why can't you just push him off? He's a dead man. He's a sack of potatoes leaning on you. And still, he had no awareness. He has no cage control. So, like, is there spots that he can lose against a big Simone who's going to press him up against the cage and pound him with some, some dirty boxing shot? Yeah. Yeah, path. But can Taffa do that for three rounds? I haven't seen it. No, I ain't going to bet on it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Carlos Felipe. Ramazan Amiev takes on David Zawada. Amiev is a minus 260 favorite. Zawada can be had for plus 220. Zawada's nickname is Sagat. But hear me out on this one. Should be Smoke On. Smoke On? Smoke On Zawada. <laughs> and fire in the sky. I like it. Little, I, I little, mean, little blue oyster. Hey, Dave, yeah, Dave, reach out to me. Have your people call my people. Yeah, I, I'll, I, I can give you. I can give you that nickname for a decent price. Um, I mean, it's a Ramazan Amiya fight. What does Ramazan Amiya usually do? 
Wet blanket. Wet blanket holds you up against the cage, slows down the pace. When we talk about a monkey knife fight later, I don't even know what to do with this one. But, like, uh, Amiyev is a minus 260 favorite in this fight, but he's only expected for 34.5 significant strikes. The guy just... The way that this guy wants to fight is just, like, cage control. Not even all, all that much wrestling. It's, like, cage control, sap your energy, slow down the pace of the fight. I mean, I don't think he would probably be on the top of the UFC's uh, list of, like, people to keep around. But the guy is a winning fighter, so he kind of sticks around. Um, I think we, unless unless maybe when they're dry early in the fight, maybe Zawada can find a submission or something like that. But otherwise, I, I think it's going to be kind of the same thing. Wet blanket, Ramazan Amiyev wins by decision, a real, real stinker of a fight. And uh, we move on to the next. What's your take here? Yeah, so Ramazan Amiyev is a hybrid. If you were to take uh, Chimaev and you were to take Imovov and you were to blend them, you end up with Ramazan Amiyev. He's not the most excellent grappler. He's not the most excellent wrestler. But, like, he can do it pretty well. You know, he does got that Dagestani blood, and he does definitely showcase it. But he's got a little bit of striking as well. Like, the guy is not above going out there and throwing a couple anyways. I, I liked at least the progression in his last fight, that he, he was a little more, like, uh, willing to at least throw some strikes, right? Because, yeah, you're right, man. Ramazan Amiv, to this point, lands absolutely nothing, goes his out there. His last fight where he was uh, excited to throw lots of strikes, he landed... 29 significant strikes. I know, I know. And because what he, had, he just resorts to the takedowns. That's what he does. He just two goes submission to the attempts, four takedowns. It was 30 to 29 significant strikes. So he still lost in significant strikes against Nicholas Stolze, despite, uh, you know, he won the fight. Right. And that's going to play a pretty good here because Zawad is a better striker. Zawad is probably going to land the better strikes and uh, more of them, anyways. He's going to have the volume on his side as well. But it's a means ability to. He hits you twice and you hit him four times, but then he took you down. So, like, mm-hmm. well, who won the exchange? And then he controls for the next minute yeah, or yeah. so, or at least holds you up against the cage for the next minute, or he throws some dirty knees inside to the right. legs. Those don't count as And you know what? Guys, guys get up all the time. Zawada's actually got a nifty little ground game as well. Loves to throw up triangle chokes. We've seen that against Abubakar and Nurmagomedov. Yeah, exactly. Loves to throw up arm bars. Like, you That's don't... my biggest concern for Amiyev in this. Yeah, maybe tough, maybe when they're no, dry early this is on. a live dog, by the way. Yeah, maybe early on in the fight while they're still dry. I mean... Uh, Ankalaev got submitted by Paul the Bear Duke Craig once upon a time. So I don't think it's... Com- I mean, and you know, yeah, Zawada's... Do you think Habib's brother has not been in those types of positions tons of times? He still... Zawada was able to find the submission against uh, against him. So yeah, not not only that, but you look at Zawada's I don't love run. R- Ramazan as a big favorite. Here. Yeah, you look at his run right in the Danny Roberts fight. He loses a split decision, but the, it actually ended up winning fight of the night. So it wasn't a terrible fight for him. It's just he did lose to Danny Roberts, right? Then the Jing Liang Li fight. He knocks Jing Liang Li down. You know, he, he he's competitive enough until just that that wear and tear just gets to him and the forward pressure, and then he just gets melted to the body with a kick and then, you know, falls over. That's the end of it. He's now 0-2 in the UFC. They're using him as feeder material against Abubakar. But you see that ground game. You see his willingness to throw it up. So, yeah, he does pose problems in that. If the fight strictly was to stay standing, he could, he could most definitely defeat Amiv. If the fight hits the ground, who knows what the judges are looking at? Are they looking at the fact that this guy's throwing up multiple submission attempts? 
But ultimately, the next day, any guy's going to win in Abu Dhabi in a close fight. And Ramazan Amiv loves fighting in these close fights. Ramazan Amiv also fought at 185 pounds against Sam Alvey in where he didn't look out of place. You know, He held up Sam Alvey up against the cage for the duration of 15 minutes. Sam Alvey's a much, much bigger and stronger man than one David Zawada. So the good thing I like about Amiv is that he's a specialist. Or not he's a specialist, he's a generalist. But he can do a little bit of everything good. So what he's going to look to do is strike for a little bit, get you up against the cage, take you down. If he can't get you up against the cage and take you down, he will take you down in the open field. But he wants to back you up and then take you down. You know, I'd say you're going to be spending more time on your back than a porn star with a mortgage. <laughs> but you will get up a few times here and there. But ultimately, he just stalls you back out and gets you back down. And I don't know that Zawad is going to have the physicality to hang with him long enough. Now, I know uh, guys like MMA Lock of the Night, guys like Clint, guys like, guys like to throw those like uh, round three this and by a specific method because it pays huge, right? If you were going to take an underdog on this card, on something that would pay huge, I think you would take Zawada and you would take Zawada by submission. And if you wanted to get real greasy, you'd get Zawada by like third round submission, second round okay. submission or something. And then maybe he would throw something out. But Zawada I don't like... Zawada by submission pays like plus five, or anywhere from plus 700 to plus 550. Yeah, and then if you take it specifically to a round, right? Oh, and if you were to be greasy. like, man, that's crazy. Ramazan Amiv's not getting some It's like, yeah, you would have said the same thing about Abubakar. Now, wouldn't you have, right? If you go to the ground with this guy repeatedly, he's going to throw up submissions. He could stick one of them. As far as the striking goes, he has the advantage. What round do you want to know? <sighs> do they have a third round? That'd they be the do. greasiest. That'd be 28, the greasiest. 28 to 1. Right, it's 28 to 1 you in the third round. Is the water. Right, you know what I'm saying, though? Do you at least get the the thought the thought process? I understand on the like, thought process. I kind of thought that the deeper it gets, the less likely that the submission happens. But well, okay. So here's the thing with Ramazan Amiv, right? We talked about all the good things he does, which is wet blanket guys, because we love that, right? But guys like Bartos Fabinski is able to do it for a long time. John Fitch is able to do it for a long time. Bruno Santos is able to do it for a long time. This guy tires out, man. Amiv puts a lot into the takedowns. He throws so many takedowns. He's constantly trying to grind you. It does tire out the opponent. But it also tires out him. And if he gets tired and Zawada has a little something-something in the gas tank, then then who knows? Maybe maybe it gets interesting. Um, my pick, because we're going to do a rundown, the pick is going to be Ramazan Amiv. I am recognizing that there's a little bit of danger on this I kind of prefer the over two and a half rounds minus 200 more than I would even. Yeah, I like that too. I like that too. Yeah, he's a decision machine. He's a decision machine. Right. The guy can't Fact. finish a sandwich. That That is a, a good point. He's not exactly one to... Put opponents away. So yeah, okay. So whatever you take, you could might. I don't know. I think I think we've made our piece here. Ramazan Amiv by decision would be the play. If you are one to take a, a long shot, kind of get greasy with it. Zawad is a live dog. If you think, yeah, if and, you uh, love chaos, yeah, would be able to maybe catch something up late. Twenty eight to one is kind of it's crazy for an MMA fight with a guy who that is probably his best best path to victory is is the submission for sure. All right, we got uh, Sarah Maras taking on Vanessa Mello, minus 230 Maras, plus 190 Mello. Uh, where's your head at on this one? This one, the over two and a half is juiced up to like minus 375 at this point. So that's kind of... That's kind of pricing people out of, uh, you know, betting the betting the overs on a women's MMA I mean, this one. This one's a, a bit of a sad state of affairs. A six and six fighter versus ten and eight. Um, the one thing I did see from Mello in watching tape is she definitely seems to be durable. She can definitely take a punch. I don't like Sarah Maras at minus two thirty. I don't think against just about anyone. 
So uh, I, I'm interested to see where your head's at here because I was thinking about hitting a plus 190 underdog here, but it's not pretty on tape uh, from Mello, Mello either. Um, what, where, where are you at on this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is why it's hard to believe that there's such thing as MMA gods because they take away nice fights like Ricky yeah, Simon and Tim Elliott, Jordan Espinosa, Jordan Espinosa bump, but that would have been a fun fight, man. And yet, Sarah Moras passes the four or five COVID tests. Vanessa Mello comes <laughs> in, passes a few COVID tests They're as well. They're just very safe. And now we have to... Go ahead with this minus one. 355 to the over two and a half rounds minus 620 to over one and a half yeah so what what was your thought what were you thinking you're thinking of an smlo as an underdog play uh what did i write here in my notes from watching this one no i was you, just i was just opinion. saying that the the fight goes to decision which is like minus 300 would be a good parlay piece yeah so with sarah moras right she's actually got a lot of big fight experience when you consider that she's Going back to the Ultimate Fighter, right? That that season was now seven years ago. Seven years she's been chopping it out against the best fighters in the world. That in itself is a lot of experience. You look at her losses. She had lost to Juliana Pena in, in that spot, right? She lost to Jessica Andrade in the UFC, which she went to the decision, took her back in the third round, right? Macy Chase on won the Ultimate Fighter, was a 145er. Lucy Potolova, they thought was going to be okay. Sinjara Eubanks, still somebody that's cutting it out against a higher echelon level of competition. She's fought in good fighters. She's fought in bad fighters. She's fought in a mix of everything in between. She seldom gives a very good account of herself. Her wrestling, not quite there. Jiu-jitsu, legit. But, I mean, if you don't have the skills to get the fight in top position, like, what are you going to do with it? Well, submit off your back. You can't be fighting off your back all the time, 2020, in any division, right? Okay, well, what about keep the fight standing? It's like, no, nah, man, striking is just absolutely non-existent. But to her credit, she's left BC. She's gone over to Extreme Couture. She's full-time in Las Vegas. She looks to be in good shape. It looks like she's taking it as seriously as she can for her last career run. Because realistically speaking, Sarah Moras is going to get released from the UFC if she does not win this fight. Vanessa Mello is going to be released from the UFC if she doesn't win this fight. So they're both going to be highly motivated. It's that with Moras, it's like, you you can point you can there's some good takeaways of things she's done well in losses, but like what has she done overall well? The one win is over Liliana Jojua. Who doesn't have a stand-up game. And and now th- and then this is super interesting to me is that one, yeah, is the p- potentially the worst fight in the division as far as the UFC goes. Could be the worst fight in the UFC. Uh, the UFC. Well, Liliana she got the Jojua, win over Diana Belbita. Who's probably released now. Yeah. And then had previously held the marker for worst fighter in the UFC. Fair. So she beat Joshua. It took her three rounds to do so. She, that fight was in Abu Dhabi, and she missed weight, came in at 138 pounds. So it's like, okay, the last time you traveled, you missed weight, you came in, you won over Joshua. It wasn't impressive. That win effectively makes her like three and six in the UFC. The Alexis Dufresne, biggest fraud ever. Ashley Evans Smith was armbar from guard. Surprise, surprise. That Dufresne fight, fight, too, was. You remember those days, yeah. Was, I think that one cost me a bunch of money. Dufresne I think was I was live. I was live for that fight. Again. Very, very triggered from uh, talk about girls that miss weight. From Dufresne losing, from could lose. not. I mean, Dufresne held top line. position for like twelve minutes of that fight. Yeah, there was no. The only two people in that whole arena that scored it for Sarah Morans were those two judges. No, no. See what ends up happening. Yeah. Dufresne's on top the whole time and is so gassed out her body shutting down because I just want to get it right. Dufresne missed weight by exactly how many pounds in that fight? 
She always missed weight, and that's not the question. Yeah. She came in at 143 for a 135-pound fight, right? So her body just shuts down. Her kidneys are done. She just lies on top and ends up losing what I thought was a close decision for sure. Then she fought Marion. She fought Marion Renault. Came in at 138. They obviously released her, right? Then she was supposed to fight Mar- Luce Kunin and Bellator at 145. She came in at 150, and then she capped off her career, actually making weight for a 145 fight, and that was three years ago. She retired. So. What I'm saying is Sarah Moross has defeated, outside of Raquel Pennington, I suppose, just the, or sorry, Ashley Evans Smith, what am I saying? I just, you know, very, very low, very low level. And then luckily for her, Mello falls in the same category. I mean, she's got low output on her striking. You've seen her two fights in the UFC. They've done her no favors, right? Three fights. Right, but she fights Aldana, who's someone who's going to out, she's going to two to one the average person, and that's exactly what happens. Horrible, horrible stylistical matchup. That Carol Rosa girl is the Energizer Bunny. She just doesn't stop. She just keeps coming. The one thing I didn't notice. I thought she looked okay against Rosa. Dude, so did I. Cardio checked out. Striking, like like she looked confident Striking, I think, like strike for strike here, I think. I'll tell you the one thing. She's a lot cleaner, a lot crisper than than what I see from Russ. Right. The one issue I took from it, though, is when she ends up on her back, she is fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Lost. Lost, lost, lost. Needs to rely on the ref helping you out, right? Ross is wrestling not good, though. No, it's not, but she's full-time in Vegas right now, and she literally only needs a takedown. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as she gets a takedown, she's just going to get on top of her. And she's one of those girls that's not just going to chase a submission and give up the position. She's just going to anchor down. And Okay, Mello's got huge legs, but the only chick with a bigger ace is Sarah Morales. And I'm not saying she's a pretty girl. I'm saying that ace is built for pure power. She needs to figure a way to get the fight to the ground. Because Vanessa Mello shows like a 70% takedown defense, right? So like, is she a good, does she have good takedown defense? No, it's just okay. Like, could, it's not so much the takedown, it's creating the scramble. And if Sarah Morales can create the scramble, then she should be able to win the grappling exchanges and get this fight to the ground. Because if it ends up being a striking battle, I, I heard she's made improvements. I uh, would not want to bet Sam Ross in a kickboxing match against anybody. So she needs to get the fight to the ground. That, that, that's the main thing. Can she do it? Sure. For the current price that she's at, I'm not willing to bet that. So here's your first pass of the year, this fight. All right. And finally, this one should be a banger. We got Austin Lingo taking on Jacob Kilburn. Minus 225 lingo, plus 185 Kilburn. Where you at? Yeah, this is a definite banger. You got two guys that there's no there's no hiding what they want to do, right? You got they Austin Lingo. They want to take you out early. Yeah, and Austin Lingo is the big power guy, right? Prior to coming to the UFC, all of his wins, I mean, he shows a lot of victories in, you know, a minute, you know, two minutes, three minutes. He's got a win over Aaron Webb in 13 seconds. He's got the win over Solo Hatley in 25 seconds. He's just hitting these guys and trucking them down. He makes some waves in, the, in, in LFA, right? Like, he's supposed to be pretty decent. He headlines a card for them. It was not a title fight, but he headlining a solo Hadley. When he came to the U- UFC against Yusuf Zalal, he was supposed to be something to the tune of a minus 225 favorite over Yusuf Zalal. Now, Zalal was also coming from LFA, where he was curtain jerking on the prelims, mm-hmm. right? Lingo is headlining cards for them. Lingo's going to be the guy. But Lingo's from Texas, right? He's never fought outside of Texas. The fights in LFA were in Texas, and he makes his UFC debut against Yusuf Zalal. Jones versus Reyes in Texas. So he's that local Texas guy. And I'm probably bought into it too much. You know, you see big power, and a lot of the time you don't realize it's like, do you set up the power, or does the guy you're fighting just unable to get out of the way? Yusuf Zalal has excellent lateral movement. You know, he's a good, adequate striker himself, but he's a better counter guy. He's a better stick and move, get out of the way. Austin Lingo just was not able to track him down. And then Zalal starts taking him down, 
his game just goes to shit. His cardio looked okay. But, I mean, the wheels just kind of fell off for him. He got lost in that spot. He's had a significant amount of time off. So, 11 months on the sideline, training out of Fortis MMA, a gym that's just filled with killers, UFC veterans. I would expect that Austin Lingo has shored up his game a little bit, got the bright lights out of the way, goes out here, gives a better account of himself. Mm -hmm. And now he draws Jacob Kilburn, who Jacob Kilburn doesn't have the wrestling to go out there and do to him uh, what Zalal did, right? Well, what about that movement that Zalal had? It's like, no, nah, Jacob Kilburn doesn't really move out of the way of the shots as well. It's like, well, what about his cardio? No, nah, not a, it's 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 not as good. But like, what does he do well? Well, he's also a power puncher. Mm -hmm. He's also a guy that's gonna well, try to go, go out there. His record, it's same. It's the same thing. All first and second round finishes. It's the exact same thing. Now he shows two wins over Elvin Leon Brito, who doesn't have the most appealing looking a record, but is a legitimate veteran, right? But it's the fight against Bobby Moffat on the Contender Series, right? Bobby Moffat, you know, uh, MMA lab guy. BJJ Black Belt, good wrestler, wants to take you down and, and no grapple. And eventually he does and submits him with the draw show. But before he does that, he's just out striking Jacob Colbert. He's cleanly beating him standing. The fight against Davidson Ribeiro, his next fight, he looks, he actually looks legit. But Davidson Ribeiro's at the tail end of his career. He's had a lot of experience. He's definitely long in the tooth. He loses that one. Or uh, he, he beats Davidson Ribeiro, uh, beats this Javonis Ross guy. And then that Billy Q fight. It's like, one thing about Billy is he's not physically strong, but uh, but he's just got great cardio, right? And against Jacob Kilburn, it's like he had his way with him. The striking numbers are so unbelievably one-sided, and then eventually he submits him in the second round. It's like a bad showing for 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 Jacob Kilburn. So you got two guys that are zero and one in the UFC. Two guys that not only just lost their UFC debuts, but got smoked out. But with Lingo, it's like he went the three rounds. Mm -hmm. His cardio looked okay. Zalal has proven to be a pretty decent commodity. Of course. Th that's the kind of loss that you can accept, that you can build from, that you're going to get better. Lingo was previously undefeated. Well, the best thing to get better in your career is go lose a fight. Readdress your issues. Where did I go wrong? Was I training as hard as I could have? Was I dieting as hard as I could have? Did, do I need to cut out the distractions? But you learn that stuff after you lose. So the guy loses, takes 11 months off. That's pretty good. And now comes back, I would expect a better version of himself. Whereas with Jacob Kilburn, no disrespect to him, but like I feel like we know where he's at. I don't expect a ton of improvements, and I feel like he's going to be giving up. His, his main path to victory, he, he's giving up that advantage over to uh, to Lingo. So I'm going to take Austin Lingo, probably gets the KO, just because you kind of see how he fights. But these guys that show such first-round KOs, right? It's like a letter uh, Louis Koski, that absolute can that lost to Sasha Palatnikov. Mm-hmm. It's like, what, what happens when the first three, four minutes run up? With Lingo, we saw three rounds of Zalal. Yeah, it didn't look great, but at least he got through it. Whereas, like, Kilburn, I think, will we'll tire quicker. And when he tires is when Lingo should be able to take over and get I that second or third round. I see Lingo slash Kilburn under 2.5 rounds minus 105. Yeah, that looks good, to be honest. Let's do that. Yeah, 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 I hear you. Because even if it goes the other way, I'd say Lingo by TKO. If, but yeah, right, if it goes the other way, I hear it goes, you. Well, I mean, Lingo hasn't been knocked out, so... No, I, no, but, but who's he fought? But what is Kilburn's best path to victory is is getting that knockout, knockout. So, um, all right, let's jump into the monkey knife fight picks for this week. Um, a couple of spots I wanted to run through the parlay god here. So what we usually do, I mean, we're new at this as well, guys. So yeah, remember. Uh, deposit with the code DOP, they'll match up to $50. So you throw in $50, they'll give you another $50. You can fade us because you're like, hey, these guys are pretty new at this. They're probably idiots. How about I do the opposite thing? That's completely 
Um, that's completely acceptable. But We're figuring it out. But together. if if you try to dance on us too early, we'll probably dance back on you if we end up winning. Um, just kidding a little bit on that. But all right, Paul does not dance. Just kidding. No, I can't dance for shit. All right, the, the no, first one I'm looking at was uh, Dusko versus Puna. So we got two undefeated guys. Um, Dusko, 85 significant strikes in like a round and a half last time out. And then the one against Teddy Ash before that on the Contender Series, he had like 114. Super, super high significant strike rate for him. I'm thinking hitting the over, or sorry, the more than 62 and a half, and Puna more than 37 and a half. I think maybe this goes to decision. Um, I like the head movement that I see from Dusko Todorovic, but I think, you know, both of these guys are undefeated. They've never been finished. Puna is Hawaiian. Hawaiian guys known for that, uh, for that durability. durability. Yeah, yeah. My bigger concern is getting Puna up to 37 and a half. Obviously, on the other side, if Dusko gets knocked out by one of those big, huge winging left hooks, you're not going to get to 62 and a half. But what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I actually like it. I think it's going to go three rounds, like you mentioned. I don't think either guy's going to look to use the grapple. Wow, if Soriano is going to get the takedowns, he's the one looking to push the grappling. If he ends up on top, he might be able to chip away. He might be able to get those 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 significant strikes up. Sometimes the significant strikes don't get scored on. The and ground, that's though. that's the main thing you got to worry about in any type of fantasy game is that fight metric is going to release. Well, it's not fight metric. This is uh, different scoring. Oh, thank God! This is why you need to make <laughs> Lunky Knife fight account, right? Fuck fight metric. I say that now. I can say that now. <laughs> yeah, they keep just killing it every single time. So I would rather a third party independent reviewer do it. And uh, I know the people over at Monkey Knife Fight, super good crew. And yeah, I honestly think that. Betting the overs, unders, it's a different way of playing, but it's an interesting way of playing. There's so much more that you can think about. Yeah, if Soriano ends up on top position and he's landing strikes from top, he probably hits that over. If if, if, these, if, if this stays on, on the, the feet time, and goes three trouble. rounds, I'm pretty confident that both of these guys and get over, over their specific banking. numbers. Here. That's what I'd be banking on is that, is that it's probably going to be mostly taking place on the feet. Both guys are going to get a couple shots in, and that eventually would hit those overs. So I, uh, I feel you there, Paul. All right, let's have a look at another one. I had a couple other ideas here. Um, any any fight that jumps off the page at you right now? Yeah, well, I'm going home and obviously would like to look over this all. And then this is going to be a recurring theme for the next few episodes anyway. So, yeah, I, I want to figure out how to master to play this game. All right. So, yeah, actually, the me, other one I wanted to talk to you about was Tafa versus Felipe. Can yeah. Tafa go three rounds? Because these numbers aren't all that high either. No, they're good for I Felipe. I think Felipe, we can guy. get over for sure. Yeah. As, Taffa, if we get three rounds, he'll get over 40, 41 and a half significant strikes. Taffa, my concern is that yeah, I wouldn't, this I guy's wouldn't a one-round fighter, and it's uh, I, I guess you could bet or you could pick the less in that spot, go like a more and a less, but uh, Felipe isn't exactly a, a potent finisher. It's a little bit more dicey there. Don't like it as much as I like the uh, the Dusko versus Puna spot, and then there was... You know what, though? So if you look at Carlos Felipe versus Jorgen DeCastro, right? Jorgen DeCastro is tired, right? And he's a sitting duck, and he's got no reach on the guy, especially at heavyweight, and he just sits there and allows it to happen. And he he landed 48, right? Which is 10 more than Justin Tava needs to land in order to hit that marker. So, yeah, honestly, one thing with Felipe is that he is a heavyweight. He doesn't got a ton of power. He's a volume guy. 
And Toffa doesn't got a ton of volume. He's all power. So I'd be way more worried about him hitting that limit than Felipe winning, than hitting it at some point and then getting finished. Yeah, I don't love that one. But here's the last one that I kind Show of... Show me Cater I, versus Max. You want to see yeah, Cater versus, versus Max, Max, the main event? I've got another one to run by you before. Because that's going to be 100 This inside. one's tricky. One, oh. 128.5, you go historically. You take the under on Max. Ah, it's five I rounds. mean, taking I an under, under on Max, Max. I know, I know. But you're like, insane. The Calvin's... Yeah, I know, Max. <laughs> Even Max loses, he fucking lands, right? I mean, I, well, I think he was close to that number. I take I, the over on Calvin. I mean, we're scrolling off of my computer right now. Otherwise, I'd look at the UFC yeah, yeah. stats. No, Actually, I, like, I guess I like I like this concept. Um, the, the pro- yeah, that one's that one's really really tricky. I think they've got that one pretty close to right. Um, I mean, Max Max has put up over two hundred significant strikes before in a fight. Well him versus Hollow or let me just pull Poirier. up let me pull up Max's Look stats at him here. For and that's a and that's a one sided fight that he gets pretty well annihilated in and he still lands Max Holloway. Okay. Yeah, you'll see. All we he got, does is um, but 102 he put up, so you'd be under in that spot against uh, yeah, Volkanovski last time out. Right, you lose that. Wait, over never, never over in that. a loss against Volkanovski. Uh, just a shade over against Frank, Frankie Edgar, way over against po- Poirier despite losing, way, 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 way over against Brian Ortega. Twice, twice over. Um, I mean, taking a Max Holloway takes uh, uh, taking a Max Holloway under is uh, is maximum. Uh, cojones, I would say. Shit, that's that's terrifying to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's where we're gonna put Monkey Knife Fight to the test right now. Who's scoring it? Because Max lands lots, but it's again, is it flim flam? Couple jabs here, couple slapping type strikes. Because if you're counting all of that as significant strikes, it ends up like the Brian Ortega fight, where mm-hmm. it's like. 280 strikes or something stupid. Like, you, you like Cater in this fight, so how much do you think Cater controls this fight? Cater's landing at least 106, 108 significant strikes. So you like so he, the more. So he hits over. Max, Max, now I'm betting on Max to lose, but if for you, the purposes of this, do this This suggests Max is going to win the fight. If that's the totals at the end of the, at the, end of the fight, uh, you know how it is. Max could have won the first two rounds handily and lost the other ones, which is what happened against Volkanovski. But if those are the numbers, yeah, I'm not happy with Calvin's performance. I think it's going to be flipped. You know, I think I think Calvin goes out and lands 128, and Max lands 92 and a half, in which I lose. So maybe I'd be inclined to take that less. And I know what you're saying, right? Man, it's Max Holloway. It was so then everybody's going to hit the Max Holloway over. Everyone's going to bet the Max Holloway over because he's an over machine. And I'm the only guy that bet less than that on Max Holloway. Gives me the unique 128 lineup. is a lot. Gives of me stress. the unique lineup, dog. That's what I'm chasing. Well, you're not really trying to make a unique lineup in this spot. Paul, we are learning the system <laughs> together. You have to you're learn not the system. You're not competing against the field, you buddy. You're competing against Monkey Knife Fight. No, I know, but I think that I think that the cool thing with Monkey Knife Fight is that we're in, incorporate the audience, get people involved. 2021, we got a lot of cool things in store, but ultimately is that we can run our own games on Monkey Knife Fight instead of doing it something like uh, some of the other bigger platforms that might not be willing to do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I think with with MKF, my new home for now. It'd be cool to build something that we can play interactively. We can play together. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, even if you don't think you're the... It's like over-under spreads, man. You can be a great football guy, but, like, you don't know what team's winning by what spread, right? The girl sitting on the couch says, oh, I I like the Dolphins. I like the... And and she ends up having better picks. This is the same thing. You can do your research. You can be smart about it. But it's, like, a different element, a different game, more surprise, right? So, again, I'm just kind of excited to, like, see how it works, see the dynamics... 
And the other, uh, hopefully it's a first good event, first event on the calendar year for us as far as USC goes. Hopefully it's a nice profitable one. The last one I wanted to just run by you was uh, Joaquin Buckley versus Alessio DiCirico. Yeah, you know Do what? Do we I... trust DiCirico's durability? Ah. And can he land 30 and a half strikes? I mean, we could go under, but um, I think Buckley gets over. If we trust DiCirico to have durability to get a little bit deeper in this fight. Yeah, yeah, Dietrichico. I like that side, but we gotta anybody. we gotta pick two, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Well, the two that I'd be looking again, I want to look at them all. But so far, uh, that main event looks the main event looks appealing enough. Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Jing Liang Li, Carlos Connor versus Matt Brown. If those are all striking battles, and they're all going three rounds. I'm gonna hit some overs on those ones because both guys are gonna throw right. They're not exactly the most defensively sound. It'll be high high numbers. Dietrichico is gonna be low number, right? Buckley, if he doesn't KO you, is throwing low numbers. Soriano Todorovic. That could be actually a slower pace fight. Imovol versus Haas. Here's my worry here. Haas is going to hit the under. I don't even know what his under is. You can show it to me. If yeah, you want. I got it right here. It's 42 and a half. Uh, Imovov is the slight underdog, but has the higher total 42 and a half to 40 and a half. Yeah, so so I would say Imovov hits the over. You know what? They both Imov- hit the over. But, but Imovov's <laughs> Haas, the Haas over, could get the Haas, significant. Haas he could have like 25 and then to he'll, 30 he'll in the first round, and you could be sweating bullets and then uh, and then not get there. Yeah, the other thing is you could have 42 and a half significant strikes and then uh, KO the guy. <laughs> you didn't hit it. Of so course. It's, it's you're not necessarily chasing that, that quick finish. It doesn't get you anything extra. So, yeah, fun. Um, the last one I want you to show me is Wu versus Jocelyn Edwards, which is low-key. Nobody cares about the car- the fight on the card. However... The numbers are high on this one. 72 yeah, okay. and a half, Wu <laughs> Yanan. Yeah, I'm just going to hit 58 and a half, What was Edwards. I thinking? Okay, okay. Hit My me, favorite, I think, is Dusko and Puna. Both more. Last, both more. Last All one. the more on Dusko and Puna. Maras versus Mello. Maras versus Mello. You sick bastard. I'm going to go home and reanalyze 51 it. and a half Mello. 45.5 Maras. <laughs> no, no, it ain't happening. Okay, I've seen it. It ain't <laughs> happening. I don't think so. Not if they're just like scrambling on the ground with like lulls of action. Well, for my girl, Vanessa Mello, I'm hoping that she doesn't get taken down. Anyway, we're just about out of time here, but before we go, hit him with the PRP. All right, we're going to Calvin Cater. I know, I know. Main event, underdog, number one. Carlos Condit, co event. Santiago Ponzinibbio, Joaquin Buckley, Dusko Todorovic, uh, Nazarene Imovov is dog number three? Dog number two. Yeah, sorry. Imovov is dog number two. Yanan Wu, it's a pick em fight. Carlos Felipe, Ramazan Amiv, Sarah Maras, Austin Lingo. Uh, so I got two underdogs, and for what it's worth, I was going to pick Nick Lentz over Mike Grundy. Fucking Mike Grundy. They had to bail out. So, yeah, we're left with two dog selections anyways. So, yeah, one of those Tom cards. Breeze versus Akhmedov was supposed to be on this card, but obviously pulled and I off, really, and I believe it's I really on like next Wednesday's card. card. Yeah, I really like that fight as well. There was a lot of good fights on this card that kind of got shifted or canceled starts early, or fizzled out. Yeah, it's also Which, as a early. Bills fan, I'm very happy about. This card starts at it's noon. Big starts at noon, and then the main card starts at 3. The Bills are at 8.15. It's going to be a nice little Saturday. Yeah, and then we are going to be back at it. There's a card next Wednesday, so we'll be back in studio, I believe, Monday. We're going to try to record that. And then back at it on Wednesday before the card to shoot next week's episode. So, yeah, sports are kind of – the world's in chaos, but sports are kind of yeah, – keep going, right? So it keeps everybody going. So 
lots of that for the foreseeable future. And yeah, thanks for tuning in as always. Um, lots of fights for us to break down in the, the next two weeks. Yeah, and full disclosure, no monkeys were harmed in the making of the Monkey Knife Fight app. <laughs> so you don't actually have to feel any type of guilt or remorse whatsoever. Just go out there and sign up. And if you use the promo code DOP, obviously a big help to us. Uh, keeps the train rolling. So if you're to this point in the show, then you are one of our hardcore fans, one of the guys that stick around. Always appreciate you guys. Always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if you want to game with us and play a little bit of MKF, sign up. Yes, sir. All right. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Safdick, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.